morning. That was for you, Kyle. This is all for you. How's everybody doing? Good. Thank you. It's good to see you guys. It's good to be back. I've been in California for a couple weeks, and the weather is better there. I'm just going to say it. I got off the plane yesterday, and I walked outside, and I went, well, I didn't miss this. No. Anyways, hey, I'm just really thankful, just a moment, I'm really thankful for the worship team. I guess everybody's up here except Bradley and Ben. But, but real quick, it's more than just that. It's like, I'm, there's another sermon coming on this in the future, I know. But the, the importance of prophetic worship, we, we really need to value how important that is. It, like, it's serious, seriously important. And we have very gifted, talented, but also anointed and willing worship leaders you guys see how there's so many different things in all those categories? Uh, and like they, they're gifted and they want to be doing what they're doing. They want to be doing it and they're gifted. They're, they're anointed. I mean, this is such a good mix. We have, we're so blessed. But I also just want to say, like Bradley, Rachel, Emilio, Paul, Ben, Jessica, all the other people that sing up here, you know who you are, Marissa, Kathy. Like, we love you not because you're a worship leader. We love that you're a worship leader, but Paul, I don't love you because you're the keyboard player. Bradley, you're like the best drummer I know, but I, that's not why I love you. I just love you because you're a brother and you're a son. So anyways, whew, that's not what we're talking about today, though. No, but that's good. Just really thankful. And just if you get a chance, just tell the worship team how thankful you are for them. They work really hard. They practice a lot. And they cultivate a really tight relationship with Jesus outside of Sunday morning so that they can overflow uh, and lead us in, uh, to a real encounter, encountering and hosting the presence of the Lord well. They, they carry it very well, so very thankful for them. All right. Okay. I turn your Bibles, if you would, to Colossians chapter 2. Don't be deceived. You really are turning to Colossians chapter 2. Okay, that's not part of the, that's not a test. A couple weeks ago, uh, the Lord kind of spoke this word into my heart uh, through a person I highly respect and love, but uh, just started looking at all these places in Scripture, Old and New Testament, where uh, Jesus or a prophet or uh, one of the apostles or someone else who's writing warns, or at least admonishes, uh, whoever the hearer is to whatever's being written to not be deceived. And so I was like, geez, I started looking at that passage is used often, many, many times. Um, I went and looked up how many times and how many uses and when and why and all those things, and it's, it's interesting. Um, here, this passage that we're going to go through today um, is, is kind of a kind of a key passage when, when talking about deception. It doesn't actually have the word, the, the phrase, I uh, do not be deceived. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Okay, so we're going to get into that a little bit, but um, 
We have to consider, though this is, this is kind of where the Lord took me, we have to consider that if, it, if it's used so often in Scripture, if we're warned so often in Scripture, if, then for the past 6,000 years it's been easy to be deceived. But you have to consider that, uh, that, that if there's that many warnings, that it was probably something that happened often. And if it was easy then, could it be easy now? Or maybe easier to be deceived. Uh, only not because we as followers of Jesus are weaker or, or anything like that, but just because the amount of false information that flies around uh, is a lot more available. And that's, that's kind of my question. So there's uh, just a couple, they're not going to be up on the screen, but just to give you kind of a, a scriptural basis, Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, 4 through 5, he said, watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, claiming I am the Christ, and will deceive many. They're specifically talking about, about the false Jesus, the Antichrist, right, or, that are going to come, and, and even in this context, perform miracles, give signs and wonders, and, and it's not actually him. And he's warning specifically about that, but nonetheless, the words out of Jesus' mouth, don't, don't be deceived. See, when you're being deceived, you don't know it. That's why it's deception. It's like the name says it, but... It, you know, it's like it would be funny. Somebody goes, well, I would know if I was deceived. <laughs> well, actually, by, de- by definition, you would not. So, so um, Revelation 12.9 refers to the devil as the deceiver of the whole world. And again, in Revelation 20, verse 3, it says the devil is deceiving the nations. It's actually his chore. That's what, that's what he does. He's the father of lies, the deceiver of the brethren. The brethren. He, he, he doesn't do anything truthfully. He doesn't do anything good. And so, and so it, would be, it would be foolish for us to believe that we are totally immune from deception or that the devil is not roaming around like a lion seeking for someone to devour. It would be foolish for us to believe that because the Bible says the opposite. And so we need to know as we go into this that when we talk about deception, I'm talking about a fruit of the devil's life, a fruit of, the, of, of what the devil is here doing. He, he comes to... to he seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. And, and his methods for doing that haven't changed much. It's, it's, he starts with deception and lies. And so one of the reasons it's important to identify that is because if you, as we go through our, our days, if you realize that you've been deceived and that deception came through a person, we really need to understand that the deception didn't originate with them, Right? that the false spirit originated with the devil, and that'll help us be able to love them and forgive them more. Yeah. Okay, so if we look at a person and are like, you're a deceiver. No, devil's a deceiver. They were deceived to deceive you. So, so that, that's important. I think it's important yeah. to make that distinction, and not just with deception, but with everything, because we're called to love people. Yeah. So we have to be able to love well. Okay, does that make sense? Yes. That's good. It's always, it's always, <laughs> it's always a win. <laughs> All right, we're going to start by taking a little bit of a deeper look at Colossians chapter 2. One of the reasons I believe that the Lord wants us to start with this passage is because Paul is actually addressing uh, a church, the church in Colossae. So believers, right? Believers that heard the same gospel that you and I all heard when we we repented and said yes to Jesus. It was the same, same message. It's awesome. They're following the same Jesus, right? The same truth is really cool. I love those parallels in, in, um, in the epistles. But he's warning, Paul is warning or admonishing um, 
Christians, just like, just like you and me, followers of Jesus. Um, they had had, I'm going to describe a little bit what was going on here, the setting of, of the time, but they had had a, uh, probably multiple deceptions that crept into the church, not, probably not all of them having to, having to be religious in nature, but when we know that with Christ as the center of our life, when something is wrong in that, uh, in that root or in that realm, that it will affect other areas of our life, politics, culture, family, health, all these things. Um, and so they had, and it didn't happen overnight. So it wasn't like the Colossians were going along, just believing all the truth, and then one day they woke up and they were worshiping angels. It didn't happen like that. It, um, it, it crept in a little, a little at a time. And Paul doesn't actually, he doesn't actually call out the specific deceptions by name very clearly. And there's, I think there's reasons for that. I am not going to call out specific deceptions this morning. And partially because I feel like the Lord doesn't want me to right now, but also because Paul didn't do it. So um, it, it'll be sort of an apostolic word here this morning in, in keeping with his methods. So, but uh, the overarching, overarching theme of the book of Colossians is the supremacy of Christ. Now I'm going to read a passage just so you get an idea of what Paul is trying to communicate here. It's Colossians 1, 15 through 20. I love this passage. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and, and through him to reconcile himself, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood that was shed on the cross. That passage is powerful. It's, it really stands alone as a, as a nugget of truth for sure. Uh, but this is the truth that Paul is trying to communicate to this church. Now, the rest, the, the, his letter is written to correct a deception or multiple deceptions that, that he's heard have been in the church. But he doesn't, he doesn't come and say, hey, you've been doing this, 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 and this. And the reason for that, my, my opinion, the reason for that is the same reason that I don't stand up here and tell everybody how bad you are, because you know how bad you are, right? It's the same reason I don't like it when people come and tell me how bad I am. I already know how bad I am. This is just redundant. You're not telling me anything I don't know. I can tell you more about me than you can tell me about me. And, 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 and so he doesn't, come, he doesn't come with the rod. Now, there's a place for the rod, okay? And I always carry my rod with me, just in case. But, but really, he, he pulls out the staff, okay? And you know the difference, right? Do you know the, di- the difference? The difference is that the shepherds carried a rod and a staff. The rod was for breaking the legs of the sheep that kept running away to teach them not to run away. They pull them out, they break their legs, and they'd carry them. And that would teach that one not to run away. But the staff was for hooking around their neck and pulling them away from a cliff. Okay? Hooking around the neck and pulling them away from danger. And that's what Paul's doing right here. He's using the staff. And so what he does is he comes and he starts with, with truth. And he goes, hey, first of all, we pray for you all the time and we've heard amazing things about you. That's how he starts the book. We love you. We pray for you whenever we can. Remember, he's in prison. And, he, and, he, and, he, and he's, going, he's going, we hear great things. And also, here's some truth about Christ. 
And then he writes this. The son of, he's, the, he's the supreme Christ. He's the ruler over all. He goes, also, don't be taken captive by hollow and deceptive philosophies. It's the only time that word philosophy is used in the New Testament. I believe that Paul was using a word that they were using in the church, something that had crept in, something that they would, they would read that and go, hmm, maybe he's talking about me. Maybe we're doing something wrong. Okay, so he writes to correct this. We don't know the specifics of the deception. It was probably some sort of what we call proto-Gnostic gospel. So basically, the, some sort of worship of knowledge or um, uh, uh, spiritism. You know, there was some angel worship. We know that there there was there was probably a um, a uh, yeah Jesus, but also you know this this and this. So, yeah, Jesus probably didn't. I mean, how could a how could a God create this universe that we live in where there's so much stuff messed up? So he probably didn't create it all. There's probably a lot of those questions. That's, that's part of what goes with that theology or that belief. Um, spiritual mysticism, uh, definitely acknowledging Jesus, but denying aspects about his deity. These are all assumptions because we don't really know. But, there, but we do know that there was incorrect philosophies that or paradigms that people had uh, adapted as truth, and that's what he was calling, or that's what he was writing to, um, to correct. Whatever they were, they denied the supremacy of Christ. So, because that's what he's trying to implement as truth. Um, our philosophy, as believers, uh, philosophy basically, I'm I'm just going to give it a simple definition of a way of thinking. Okay, but our philosophy as as believers really needs to be shaped by what we find in Scripture, and nothing else. Nothing else. <laughs> nothing else. Okay. Um, the, reason that, the reason that we have the Mormon cult in our culture is because, did you know that the Mormons use the exact same Bible that you and I use? Exactly the same. Jehovah's Witnesses have changed it, but the Mormons use the same Bible plus the Book of Mormon. And that's mixture, and it didn't work. And it's what, and it's what, it's that's a, it's a big difference. And when they come to your door, and they're like, "We're the same," and you're like, "No, we're not." So, it, and that's the reason. So, our philosophy has to be rooted and found in Scripture. Paul was pointing out that the Colossian church had allowed at least part of their philosophy to be shaped by other sources, specifically by uh, what he says, uh, man's wisdom and the basic principles of this world. They had allowed those things to come in and shape their paradigm, philosophy, worldview. God view when really they should have just stuck with the truth. Is that making sense? Yeah. I've told this story before. Um, some of you have heard it. It is funny, but there's truth in it too, okay? So if you walked by your favorite bakery, went in, you got a brownie, you're like, this is the best brownie I've ever had in my entire life. Okay, it changed your life. Um, so you go back and you get a brownie every day, which I don't suggest doing, but sometimes it calls to you. And so you're going by and you're getting these brownies. Oh, these brownies are so good. It's the best thing. You're giving them to all your friends. And one day you walk around back and you're like, I got to see like the kitchens, this operation. And you look around back and you're like, and they're putting in the cocoa and you're like, oh, they make it from scratch. They're so good. Sugar, flour. And then they go over and they grab this little piece of poop. <laughs> little tiny, just tiny. It's a huge hopper. You know, it's just a hopper. And they're just little, and they're just like, plink. And you're like, no, what are you doing? And, they're, and they mix it up, and they pour it in, and they bake it, and you're like, what? 
you'd never eat those brownies again, would you? Some of you'd be like, it depends on how good they tasted. <laughs> if you fall into that category, we do counseling during the week, and you probably have other things that you need to work through. But I'm telling you that deception starts small, and sometimes you can't even taste it. You can't. And as a matter of fact, sometimes what you're eating tastes so good that you wouldn't know unless, you, unless it's revealed to you. That's the point. Not all deception is spiritual or religious in nature. The, um, I, like I said this, I don't think all the deception in the Colossian church was spiritual or religious in nature, but it definitely started there because they're believers. So when we, come, when we say yes to Jesus, we don't add him to our life. He becomes our life. So it's centered around, if it's centered around him, then that's where it starts. Okay? And why would the devil try to deceive us out here? He tried to deceive us in the middle. This is a, I'm drawing a circle. Okay? See the circle? <laughs> why would he try to deceive us out here when if he just deceives us a little bit in here, it'll affect everything out here? That's what he does. So if it was possible and was happening in the early church, which we know it was, and not just in the Colossian church. Okay, Paul writes a lot of correction letters to different, to different groups about different things. Um, and it goes without saying, again, that, that they were deceived and they didn't know it. That's what deception is. Um, do you think it might be possible that we could fall into deception today? And if we're deceived in one or more ways, would it stand to reason that by definition that we probably don't know? And I don't have, like, I'm not standing up here with, like, a secret. Like, I know where you're deceived, and you don't. And I'm not going to tell you, because you have to figure it out for yourself. That, that's not it. I think, that it. I think that it stands to reason that if it was possible, then it's possible now. But God. Okay? Write that down if you're taking notes. But God. Doesn't it also stand to reason that because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that because we're friends with the Father, that because Jesus stands and intercedes for us before the Father, doesn't it stand to reason that with his help we can successfully and continuously identify deception and then repent from it, shine light on the darkness, correct our thoughts, our paradigms, our actions, our philosophies, and embrace truth? Doesn't it stand a reason that that's also possible? I think so too. I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged because of that fact. Paul was encouraged because he knew that was true. He knew that he didn't need to be there in person to start, point, to start going, well, this is probably and dissecting. He went, I'm going to give them the tools. They already have the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give them... I'm going to make them aware and give them the tools to use what they already have to identify the devil's schemes and be able to turn from them. And that's what we want to do today. I do believe that we need to actively consider if we are embracing any sort of deception. That's just like, a, like getting the oil change in your car. It's just maintenance. Okay? It's, it, it's not, this is not meant to um, breed any type fear or doubt or am I really saved or any if you're as a matter of fact if your mind has gone down that way already just stop because the devil's pulling you down a road that you you're 
you don't need to go and God doesn't want to take you down that road. That's not what any of this is supposed to, to breed. It's not what Paul intended the Colossian church to do, turn to shame and all of these things. No, that, that wasn't it. It was, it was, I love you. I know, that the, I know the devil's schemes. I know he's a liar and I know he's, I know he's deceiving the nations because it's what the word says. It's, it's what he's going to do until he's done for. And because of that love, that he had for the church, he warned. And that's what warnings are. They're love actions. Um, any, I'm just going to say that we approach freedom from deception from a place of victory already because of the blood of Jesus. So even when, we're, even when we use these tools I'm about to give you to, to identify and stop deception, even when, we're, even when we're doing that and going down that road, we're not fighting in the flesh. We're not fighting, a, am I going to be able to get free? Am I going to be able to win this battle? We're fighting a Jesus, everything was paid for and provided for at Calvary. That's where we're coming from. We're coming from a place of victory, through a place of victory, into a place of victory. Is that, is that hopefully encouraging to you? Because sometimes people stand up and give warnings and don't follow through with like, how do you, well, well, what do I do? <laughs> now you've told me how bad I am, but how do I not be bad anymore? And, that, and that's, that's not what Paul did, and it's not what we intend to do here today. Okay? All right. Just a few things here as we close. Four tools that I think that you can use today and that, that I use uh, to spot and guard against deception. Okay? So you've got, you got to identify, I think, this is I think I've been deceived here. And then get free from it, and then guard against it coming and, and stepping into deception again, okay? It's like this, this whole thing. Number one is humbly accept. Everybody say humbly accept. Humbly accept. Right, and actively realize that we can be deceived. You've got to admit it, right? It's like the first step is always, you know, admitting. And to just go, okay, Lord, I don't have all the answers, and I could be wrong. I'll put that before you. Now it's good to you know it's good to like not think that you, if you, if you actively know that you're embracing something that's wrong that's another problem <laughs> that's not deception that's just stupidity and so we cast out the spirit of stupid in Jesus name and we get on with it but uh, I, but seriously there's a difference there yeah. to know knowing that you're sinning is not de- is not deception thinking it's okay is deception but knowing that you're sinning it's like oh you're being deceived no you're just sinning so. Um, humbly accept and actively realize that it, it is possible for we as believers to be deceived. Okay, number two, and these are in order. Number two, pray and ask for wisdom, revelation, and discernment. Okay, we need wisdom. We, we need wisdom to know what is deception and what isn't. We need revelation to hear what God thinks about certain situations or philosophies or paradigms. And we need discernment to be able to, to identify when we, to go, gosh, this doesn't seem right, and to be able to ask more questions and seek things out in Scripture. Okay, pray, ask for wisdom, revelation, and discernment. Number three, we study the genuine. I know you guys have heard this before, but people that that work at a bank, my sister works at a bank, and she's found several counterfeit bills. It's sad. People bring them in. Usually they received, you know, it's a business, and they received it or something like that. But they they don't teach 
the tellers at the bank to all of the different ways that people counterfeit bills. Because the last counterfeit bill that my sister got was a $5 bill. Any good counterfeiter knows you only counterfeit hundreds, right? Just, it doesn't it costs too much money to counterfeit a $5 bill, but it's a $5 bill. But they don't, they don't teach you all the different ways of counterfeit. They just teach you to study the genuine. They just teach you to study what real money looks like so that anything that comes across your desk that isn't real money, you go, no, that's not real. I don't know how they made it. I don't care why it's wrong. I don't, I don't care what ink or paper or whatever. I just know it's not genuine. And then you, can ha- then you use that discernment to go, no, and you just get it out of the way. Does that make sense? So they study the, so study the genuine, and in this case, study the Word of God. Yeah. Study the life of Jesus. Yeah. Study the, read through the Gospels. Listen to the Gospels. Okay? Yeah. When we have the truth rooted so deep inside of us, and it's not like get it rooted, and then you can just go on with the rest of your life. you got to keep it rooted. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a daily thing to get this into here, yeah. right? It's like, I wish that we could just do this. And then it would go inside. This is a little bit, this is sort of a prophetic picture of what, of what the prayer room is, right? Because we come and we sit, we sit before the Lord and we just kind of let everything just soak in, right? But, it, but it's not this easy all the time. Sometimes you have to put it through your eyes to get it. And then, but I, I like to put it through my ears too. I, like to li- I love the audio Bible. It's cool because I can do other things and it gets inside of me. I can fall asleep and it gets inside of me. And it's good. Okay, it's a good thing to listen to. So study the genuine. And then number four, um, the Lord gave me this one this morning in the prayer room. I only had three because in a sermon you can only have three points. So, um, but we do things a little outside the box here. So we have four. Um, seek an outside opinion. Here's what I mean by this. I, I, don't, I don't mean go ask a stranger what they think. Or, or I don't mean outside the church. I don't mean, I, that's not what I mean. I mean outside of yourself. Yeah. That's what I mean. Seek an outside opinion, outside of yourself. Sometimes, especially when we are isolated, uh, we, have, we have a um, propensity to get inside of our heads a little bit too much, okay? And sometimes, I, this happens to me a lot, Probably, probably just because I'm pastor, I'm sure it happens to Pastor Glenn, Kyle, a lot of people come up to you and they'll just start vomiting these like, these, like thoughts and, and philosophies and they're like, what it? And you're like, whoa, you should have come to me weeks ago and I could have helped you tap the brakes a little bit. And, and, and you know, and it's just like, but, all, but what it is is it's just things just stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and stir and then all of a sudden it's like, well, was, was Jesus really, I mean, you think Jesus was married, right? Jesus, do you think he had an affair with Mary? And I'm like, where did you get that? Well, and it's never, never from the Bible. It's always from somewhere else. And so a good, a good practice to get into is to have somebody like a mentor, someone who's discipling you, someone you're, you can bounce things off of that, that you know, maybe you disciple each other. Um, be a part of a home group. Okay, home groups, there's a lot of dialogue and interaction that happens. If you're in my home group, you know that I, I like to, I like to just let other people talk, and it's good. You guys are like, you talk all the time, Nate. I know, I still do, but there's a lot more time for other people to talk, too. You can get pastoral counsel, okay? It's why we're here. Call, text, come in. You can just ask a question. If we don't know the answer, we'll make one up. No, we'll, point, we'll, we'll, either, we'll either find it out with you, or we'll point you to somebody who might be able to speak, in, speak to it more, you know, your situation. But if we, if we don't 
ever bounce things off each other, it's really easy for us to start embracing hollow and deceptive philosophies. Because I'm telling you, they are flying around like a flock of birds. And you're, you're going to get hit in the face with them just by walking outside, just by looking at your phone. Bam, bam, bam. TV, bam, bam, bam. Everywhere you go, overhearing, in line in HEB, if you can hear six feet away, bam, bam, bam. And so they're, they're out there. Rachel, you guys can come back up. Humbly accept and actively realize that we can be deceived. Pray and ask for wisdom, revelation, and discernment. Study the genuine and seek an outside opinion. Specifically, a discipleship or mentoring relationship, home groups, or pastoral counsel. Lastly, what do you do if you realize you've been deceived or realize you are being deceived? This has happened to me you know, several times. Um, and I, I tell you, the, the first few times that I remember realizing that I was actively an unwilling but active participant in deception, I had too much pride to repent from it mm. and knowingly continued in the deception because it was just more comfortable. It's easier than going, I was wrong. Because it affected more than just me. Um, my family and others so you have to humbly repent and change your mind and and it's not easy all the time because especially when you're when you're um when you have more wisdom meaning you're older um and you've been maybe embracing you find out that you've been embracing a deception small big or what for a number of years, and, you're, and, it's, and the, the idea of starting over in that philosophy is daunting. I get that. But it, how sweet of the Lord in your older age to go, I'm not just going to let you live out your days with a deception, because I want you to know truth. I don't care how old you are. We got to pray. Here's a prayer I wrote out pray, Lord, thank you for showing me my error. Give me a chance or give me grace to abandon any and all hollow and deceptive philosophy that I've embraced. Please help me to replace it with pure truth. Guard my eyes and my ears. Be the ENT so that I'm not easily deceived. Help me as I'm daily in your word to let its truth penetrate my heart and my mind. Amen. I'll just close by sharing just one little part of my testimony. I, um, I had realized, I've shared parts of this before, but I'd realized that part of my, my theology was, was just, I'd been deceived into believing some things were true uh, that weren't true. And, and hear this too, because I know we use the word deceived in our English language, and, it, and it, it, again, I just want to remind you that I'm not trying to like, stir up hatred towards people. Right, because the people that I learned from weren't trying to deceive me. <laughs> right, they they loved me and they still do. And um, but you know, whether they're teachers or or, or leaders or someone in, in politics or whoever it is, um, in in my case, you know, teachers. You know, and I started I started grabbing on to these doctrines about Jesus that that are not taught in Scripture. They're not, it's not the Jesus that's revealed in the Bible. 
and I took those and taught others, um, which is which was really hard to live with when I when I realized my own deception. Um, when I the moment that I was I'm not going to go into details, but the moment that the Lord uh, or the Holy Spirit so convicted me that I finally humbled myself and repented. You know, I apologized to the Lord, and, and, I, and I asked him, I prayed a prayer very similar to this, I asked him, I said, now I have a hole, and I need you to replace it with truth, because I can't not have something, you know, I, I, now I don't know about Jesus. If that's not true, if what I was holding on to wasn't true, then I need to know what's true, and he did, and he, he just gave me, gave me a vision, and... I like made a choice, you know, I drew a line in the sand and I, and from that day forward, things changed and were different, but I also went back and, and I, you know, to the best that I could apologize, you know, to those I'd taught and, and I was just, I, I am so sorry, you know, I was, I'm young and I'm not making excuses, but I'm, I'm just saying like, I, I didn't know and I don't believe what I said was true anymore. Me because I didn't mean to lead you astray. I apologized to my family, to my wife, and all, you know, I had had thoughts. I had had thoughts like when my wife and I got married, we had a, we had kind of a fundamental difference in our upbringing, um, and we and we both knew that and we're fine with it. it. It didn't ever, it hasn't ever affected us or our relationship. But I, this is how arrogant I was, guys. I thought. I'm probably a little more strong-willed than she is, and I can probably put my will on on her so that she'll adapt my belief and it'll go the other, and it won't go the other way around. That was just a thought, okay? I didn't say that, but I had to go. I went and I told her that I had that thought, and I and I just I just repented because I had I had stifled what the Holy Spirit had so so sweetly put in her. And, uh, and, I, and I was trying to, I was just dumping water on this good fire for years. And finally, and then I was just like, wanted to turn myself into a little haystack and get next to her fire, right? And get lit on fire. And, and, and really, we've been growing ever since. But I'm telling you, it was not easy. It was humiliating. Do you know where we get the word humiliating from? Humility. <laughs> so, so oftentimes, taking a step in humility will be extremely humiliating. It's a good thing. It's a really good thing. It sucks. It feels terrible. You feel like you're gonna vomit all the time. It's just like, ugh. But the other side of it, you look back and you're like, that was worth it. And then it'll actually cause you to pray and intercede harder that you won't fall into deception again because you don't want to have to go through the humility again of making it right. Did everybody, everybody receive that well? Yeah? Okay, let's let's stand together. And I just wanna going to pray together, and the uh, worship team is going to play. After after this time, there'll be people available to pray over here on this wall, and then there'll be people available to pray in the front as well if you want prayer ministry for everything. But let's just, let's just close our eyes before the Lord. We can sing.